OTB Rugby. Quinny is going at a million miles an hour. And bearing in mind, I didn't pass the ball that often. He was expecting the pass. He got the pass and scores. And in scoring, dislocates his shoulder. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball daily. Now then, you're welcome along to Monday evenings off the ball. Despite a low-key billing, we can safely say the All-Ireland semi-finals more than delivered, not least yesterday, Derry. So brilliant and went oh so close against Kerry. Darren O'Sullivan and Colin Boyle are on the way. A new superstar, admittedly he had won a US Open, but I think it's safe to say announced himself on centre court yesterday. We will talk to Luke Jensen about the king of the tennis world right now at the age of 20, Carlos Alcaraz. Matt Williams, meanwhile, is back on Monday Night Rugby. It's been a while since we've uh, done some rugby. Three-match ban for Johnny Sexton, not disastrous. Uh, Matt has been watching the opening two rounds of the rugby championship. We'll get his impressions. Short version, New Zealand very, very good. Australia rubbish, South Africa average. 53106, the text number. We are at Off The Ball on Twitter. Michael McCarthy, hello to you. Argentina, not even worth mentioning. Well, you know, they're doing okay, I guess. Richie McCormick, hello. Gents, how are you? We are very well. So, Carlos Alcaraz. There was a moment where Claire Balding said, and you know he's closer in age to Prince George there than he is to Novak Djokovic. Oh, God, they were. Do you know what? There was a moment at the end where... Sorry, I don't want to get off on a negative footing, actually. But I'll quickly say it. Okay. There was a moment at the end where Alcaraz was like lying on the floor in the middle of centre court. And it was like a second, I would say, after the last point was won. And they immediately cut to William and the babies. <laughs> and I was like, could it be a break? Show people who are relevant. And then they showed Alcaraz running up to an amazing moment when he ran up to the box and his coach... Yeah. Uh, fair like you know that was that was class that was what they should see but we had to see a lot of royals before we got there is there any chance they were cutting to the king of Spain first and you didn't clock him <laughs> yeah they were yeah just Prince George just happened to be right in the centre of the shot <laughs> uh, the king of Spain just off to the corner but that's who they were looking for hey look it's I'm, the BBC I'm, peaked at um, 15 million viewers TV and yeah. player combined I deserved every single one of them deserved it. I would like to be fair and there was another guy who kept... I th- I'd imagine people probably thought of he was the King of Spain if they weren't familiar with how King Felipe looked. It was a guy who was side of court who kept getting a lot of shots who had a Spain flag wrapped around his neck and looked that kind of age that he could be uh, a royal sort. I did see this uh, guy, yeah. yeah I Never just, thought I was he was like, the, oh, king, the king now, I have to say. There's the King of Spain. No, no, it's not. There's King Felipe up in the box. Uh, it was brilliant. Like from start to finish, I had one of those notifications on the TV yesterday where it said, uh, you haven't touched a button on here in two hours, whatever it is. Are you still watching? And I was like, yes, I very much still am. Uh, went from start to finish on yesterday. It was incredible. The GEA always interrupts Wimbledon <clears throat> finals, right? It always has. But it's ne- it, it's only in the last couple of years, obviously, that it is like such an important part and laid on in the GEA season that like it is really difficult to give your full attention to a Wimbledon final when you've an All-Ireland semi-final on. But Jesus, it was tough to turn. Like, I was waiting for the end of a brilliant game between Derry and Kerry so I could concentrate. Because if it was going to five, I think it was in the fourth set the game ended. And you're like, if it's going to five, I want to give my full attention to this. Because it was one of those occasions. Tennis doesn't reach those heights very often. But when it does, it's almost unparalleled. It can be such a... And they were playing at such a high quality all the way through. Djokovic, I have to say, I've never been his biggest fan. But as the game went on... Like, you know, you just have to have so much respect for his talent levels and how he kept in it. But this guy, Joe, like Richie was talking about it on Friday when we were talking about the semi-final against Mendiev. But like, 
he's so so impressive like to do that in his first final against a guy going for nobody even does but like Djokovic was going for five Wimbledons in a row something that's only ever been done by two people he was going for his eighth Wimbledon which has only been done by Roger Federer in the men's game like Hatton, what a win hadn't lost on centre court since 2013 yeah, yeah. The, f- the final to Andy Murray was yeah. was his last defeat on centre court was incredible Alcaraz's shot selection and game awareness and in game intelligence like from point to point for a 20 year old I mean, just have to keep underlining that for a 20 year old was absolutely immaculate yesterday yeah. it really it really really was and he was somebody who will do something wrong learn and pick up and learn from it within the same set and move on and be better at it like to watch somebody naturally improve as a player as a match progresses as the Wimbledon final progresses into five is is quite something I think uh, a lot of people would have had the experience over the last fortnight of not having seen loads of him to by the end of yesterday's match saying ah there's that trusty Alcaraz drop shot there <laughs> yeah there was enough we, drop shots we know and look he's bloody good at them yeah. Luke Jensen will join us later on as he will explain this guy's only getting better not surprising given his age but for instance his serve is uh, to use Luke's phrase not a flamethrower but it's about to become one very very soon so you can tell it's in scarier. him he hit a second serve at one stage to, that Djokovic couldn't return and like Djokovic can return anything you know and you're thinking well that, that's in him that's going to get better you know Djokovic in fairness I mean, it was a painful loss I'm sure given Margaret Court's record the Federer record he's 36 that might be that I'm sure he doesn't think so but it might be it was extremely magnanimous I thought and came across very well post match and it was put to him at one stage I think this was more in the press conference that people are saying that Alcaraz is like a really good blend of Djokovic, Federer and Nadal and Djokovic who's seen some good players in his time I think it's fair to say said I would agree with that I think he's basically got the best of all three worlds I haven't played a player like him ever Uh, Roger and Rafa had their own strengths and their weaknesses Carlos a complete player He's um he's got he's got everything he has um I was watching him yesterday kind of in, in in kind of close up and everything he has comes through his middle comes through his core if you if you watch him on his feet he's exceptionally light in his feet you contrast that with somebody who's very heavy on his feet like Andy Murray to the degree that he looks like he's clomping on courts at times and um Nadal can have a bit of that as well uh not so much Djokovic and Federer but everything comes through his middle to the point that he almost looks like he's gliding when he's taking these shots and that's the way he's able to get this power on this he had like a 91 94 uh, mile an hour forehand a couple of times yesterday that there was no playing it was he's 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 a different he's a different beast what we've seen in the past while on the forehand point apparently rich uh, more than a couple of times 83% of his forehands were over 90 miles per hour which is unheard of so yeah uh, there were freakish things happening we'll talk to luke jensen yeah. half past 7 david on youtube says Djokovic was below his best great match though Alcaraz the real deal says andy and david wexford rightly points out 703 it was mick's first rant of the week yeah and I'll, I'll, it'll be my last for an, a minute or two. Can I just point out quickly about the Djokovic being below his best? There was a stat after the first set where, or I think it was even halfway through the second set, obviously Djokovic dominated the first set where it's like, when attacking, your percentage of points won. Yeah. And Djokovic was like 90, which is insane. And Alcaraz was 50, okay. right? And then there was a point late in the game, I think it was in the fifth set, where Djokovic, I think, hit two unforced errors in a row you know, in points that he should have been in control of. And it's like, that's not just him not being at his best. That's him being worn down. Mm, by yeah. like an unbelievable performance on the other side of the court you know what I mean you have to be like second you know, longest final in Wimbledon history and one of those games went on for was it half an hour oh yeah the, it was the yeah, 11 juices or something juices, was it 13 yeah, yeah was 13 Pat, juices was Pat Cash the first to climb into the box 
one of, if not the he uh, might have been, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. Becker go up? <clears throat> Becker might have done laterally. Becker won in what, 85, was it his yeah, first one? his first um, one, 85. No, I don't think. Cash, no, 87 think was, was the first, first yeah. 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 Uh, after the Johnny section abusing the officials, can we now stop with the rugby players are so much better behaved than soccer players, SH1T. We have to constantly listen to rugby supporters are obsessed with not being soccer, says Liam in Limerick. Feels like someone else's argument really so doesn't <laughs> like, get involved with Liam's uh, issues there. You listen to a different show, Liam. I mean, it just doesn't feel like we were in that space, but I'll take the point. John says, why don't the uh, GA bring in a properly defined tackle that is clear to refs, players and fans? Soft freeze were given to Clifford and O'Brien while McGuigan was the victim of an over-the-top tackle or tackles in the second half. Says John. John, I think everybody agrees with that. Text as a follow-up. Give us the clearly defined tackle there in a line or two and uh, best of luck with that. That is the problem. It's very hard. It's a weird thing in Ga. We grow up, we know it when we see it and then there's a big old grey area. Yeah, and look, uh, uh, it's funny because like when I'm on the side of it as being a supporter, I join in 100%, but when you watch it as a true neutral who kind of would have liked Derry to win that game, these things iron out. Like David Clifford was yellow carded, was he? Or at least uh, definitely pinged for like a really clear uh, challenge that was a score yeah. in the end of the first half. These things happen over the course of a game, like, you know? Yeah. They do and they don't. I mean, okay. they don't always even out. I thought that Stephen O'Brien was a free. I think he lost his footing because of the challenge. Mm. Now, it wasn't a hard challenge or anything like that, but he lost his footing and fell to the ground and hand-passed it off because of because he was hitting the side. You yeah. know, I, th- I think that's a free. I don't think it's a big deal that it's a free or not a free sure. if, if he'd given no, it or not given it. I agree know? with that. It's not never a big deal. You know, if you're if you're clinging to that stuff. Yeah, they uh, lost the next four kickouts and Kerry scored four points. It can't yeah. have been just because of that one free. Here's the issue. It's not the referee. And by the way, Derry played so well. I think um, I'll be pushing Colin Boyle and Darren O'Sullivan for a joint apology to Derry. So Derry played so well. But like the reason they lost the game is absolutely not the referee. The reason they lost the game, or one of the key reasons, is they had 14 shots in the second half and scored three of them. Yeah. Well, I heard um, Paddy Andrews talking to you right before the game. I was literally just got home in time for it. And it was a really interesting chat where he predicted that Kerry would score 118. And I think they scored 117. And he predicted that, Ke- that Derry would find it hard to get more than 14 points, 14 scores, and they got 15. Do you know, like, and it's a close game. I think they got sick. They they got an extra that weird point at the end, yeah. but <laughs> unintentional point. Yeah, exactly. So they got sixteen points. But like, think about that. Like, you know, that is exactly what happened. They both played to their form, really. You know, well, when Derry you were just a little bit more exciting and beautiful to watch than they normally are. I and suppose. they had twelve of those scores by halftime. Yeah, so it's just a, a bit of a failure in the second half to keep scoring. You know, um, their manager spoke really well after the game. We'll get into all that with uh, Colm and Darren at eight o'clock. Richie, I guess um, it is the week. The World Cup, after all the talk, is here. And pretty good news, I think, on Denise O'Sullivan. That old protective boot has been left in the hotel room. Yeah, the Republic of Ireland manager Vera Powell remains hopeful that Denise O'Sullivan can play some part in Thursday's World Cup opener with Australia. The midfielder was engaged in light training this morning, having been in that protective boot following Friday's abandoned friendly with Colombia. Thursday's opponents, Australia, meanwhile, have released a video demanding equal pay from FIFA with their male counterparts. Currently, the tournament prize pool for the women's is €98 million. That's a quarter of the men's pot at their last World Cup. The players are also calling on players in Australia's A-League women to be fully professional. Australia beat France in front of 50,000 fans in their warm-up game in Melbourne on Friday. And Ireland's Heather Payne says they will take plenty from that game. 
Yeah, it was it was a good game, you know. Obviously, France are a very good opponent, and Australia won one nil, so that says a lot. Um, and yeah, they're they're obviously a really good team. They're ranked in the top ten, so of course, um, you know, it's going to be they're going to be a tough opponent, and we are underdogs going into it. Um, but yeah, you know, they're quick up front. You know, they've they're good on the ball, and of course, they have Sam Kerr up front too. So um, just all stuff we knew before, but it was good to see them, you know, against France, um, top opponent. Yeah, it's very much a case of underdogs. And even like that Australia beating France in front of 50,000. Like the atmosphere will be something for several of the Irish players to contend with on Thursday amongst obviously various other things, not least Australia. Yeah, 82,000 people in Sydney. It's going to be like such an occasion. Like I just genuinely cannot wait for it. But yeah, there's definitely trepidation there. You know, like Ireland need to, <laughs> we need to get off to a good start. You can't like, you know, there's a there's a fear about, there's a Euro 2012 thing knocking around in my head where we all had the conversation about Croatia will be grand and then, you know, we'll get a point off Italy and sure if we lose to Spain, we lose to Spain and sure like we're in the hardest group of all time, you know, <laughs> underestimating Croatia. Like, you know, we're in a, we're in a silly difficult group mm. and we just have to be honest about that. But look, not to say that uh, they can't manage it. Yeah, Rich, the news for Johnny Sexton then? Yeah, he's going to be free to play for Ireland at the Rugby World Cup, having escaped with a three-match ban. The Ireland captain admitted to one charge of misconduct of the three levelled at him following the Heineken Champions Cup final. An independent disciplinary panel found his behaviour confrontational and aggressive towards and disrespectful of the match officials. Sexton would have faced double that ban were it not for what they called an excellent previous disciplinary record and his admission of guilt. A supposed incident at half-time outside the officials' room wasn't investigated by that panel. Leinster, for their part, have had a £7,500 fine suspended for failing to control Sexton. So I guess for Sexton, obviously the headline news is he doesn't miss any World Cup games. Downside is Italy at the Aviva, England at the Aviva, in particular England on the 19th. That would have been a nice way to say goodbye, I suspect, to mm. a Dublin crowd. I'm sure he'll do some kind of... a lap of honour or be bullied into it in his civvies you don't think will so will he be allowed on the pitch how does that work when you're well, suspended full time whistle he does what he wants surely yeah, I don't know and uh, I don't think well, that's uh, clearly not the case I don't think uh, playing um, yeah true uh, <laughs> Samoan Bayon will um, upset him overly I guess it means after six months he's coming in without a single game yeah absolutely Cup, which is great he might have played in one of those games realistically I would say you know um, so, like, in, in some ways, he's got off quite lightly, but it does put Ireland in an interesting position and Sexton. Like, there's an expectation always with him that he, he, he's very good at coming back with very little rugby yeah, and has always done it. But, you know, he is also getting older. You don't want to be kind of, like, letting things tick on uh, too long. You don't want to not play for six months at this stage of his career, you know. But, you know, all the real work will be done in training, you would yeah. think, at this stage. You know, those warm-up games are a farce to begin with. But, uh, yeah, like, they are. Because they are, they are, it's weird, because, you know, for all the jokes about November friendlies versus test matches and stuff, these are the only really true friendlies in international rugby, and they come across that way. You they know, are bad. They're strange games. My strongest memory of any of them is David Wallace being put out of a World Cup. Yeah, exactly, the yeah. Line. The, um, I didn't read the full 36 pages uh, finding because, you know. So you're not on your own there, Joe. Life's too short and all that. But the um, what he said, in effect, and I think this is by his own admission, but to read a passage from the finding, uh, the committee found his behaviour confrontational, aggressive towards and disrespectful of the match officials. So it included... He's pointing his finger at them and shouting at them something to this effect. 
it's a disgrace you can't guy, you guys can't get the big decisions right probably accompanied by expletives most likely the F word said uh, Sexton um, it's not the worst thing you've ever heard you know he's just uh, yeah, <laughs> a venting tackle the referee though it's it's the it's the stuff around that they kind of pinpoint three incidents. The first is when he comes onto the pitch and apparently says that to them. There's then a supposed second where he's acting in an intimidating manner. They feel towards the officials and mentioning something in their direction at the very least, okay. um, which he says was purely directed towards his own players. So he was like chatting. They're in their area. They will be at the medal ceremony, and he was making a point to whoever he was standing beside. Uh, and then the third, which isn't really an incident, it's that he tried to uh, pull one of the uh, assistant refs aside and apologise. He was like immediately conciliatory uh, towards the assistants and they said they didn't want to talk at that particular time. So okay. it was it was held over. And then among the mitigating factors, like he called the APCR's head of officiating two days later, um, following on from a text. And that was very mea culpa, not in a kind of... Um, scared kind of way but more so listen I know I was wrong I yeah, really okay. effed up there so I think that was the guts of the mitigation at least anyway is that he knew from the jump yeah. that he trouble. That he, uh, he, he was right he was in he was in trouble and he did something wrong you have to be honest and stuff for all like taking nationality out of it and everything like that like it does feel like it was something that does deserve a suspension oh, and, yeah. and exactly he's very lucky made out of no, you know lucky. and he's not going to miss very the up and yeah. I think I think possibly some context was taken into it like you know was it something that deserved a ban yes was it something that should like you know take him out of the World Cup at the end of his career maybe not like I'm sure they're not supposed to look at things that way but the human beings you know yeah exactly Um, so so he is lucky I think you know we should do like the top 10 Johnny Sexton uh, referee moments Remember when he told the referee in Australia that I know you hate me, but you have to listen to me. Well, listen, <laughs> you, you, you joke, captain. you joke. It's a long build-up to this World Cup. Coming <laughs> <laughs> to a Wednesday night rugby soon. Uh, Pat Cash was the first. Says Tennis Tank on YouTube. Thank you very much. Yeah, I thought he was. I think that's why it's so famous, presumably. Uh, forget Alcaraz, lads. What about Clifford? I know it's nearly getting routine now, but did you see him on Sunday? He might honestly be the best we have ever seen. Says Colin. Not from Kerry. I know. It's just yeah. outrageous. I mean, he just might be the best I've ever seen. I think I'm pretty close to saying that. And it feels too early in his career to be making points like that. Like even Jack O'Connor was moved, not to single anyone out, but he found himself saying, and by the way, what David Clifford did in the second half there, that was outrageous. Mm. All over the pitch as well, Joe. Well, that's, it's I think not just kicking o- points with O'Connor, David Clifford, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. O- that, that was the point O'Connor was making. Like this lad's back in his yeah. full back line and then has the energy to weigh in with nine points and even I thought like the way Kieran Mina the dairy manager spoke about him is quite telling so basically he said of uh, Clifford we felt we had the best man marker in the game in Chrissy McCabe but for us it wasn't about taking David Clifford out of the game it was just about managing his impact he's an incredible player he may be the greatest player who's ever played the game mm. like it's not even a just the way they say it, stop like, him. you know, you're saying Colm's not from Kerry there. Colm, who is from Kerry, who has, uh, a, a, you know, a claim on being one of the best players to ever play the game. Uh, Gooch on TV yesterday was talking about him in terms like, I've never seen anybody who can do what he does as often as he does it and as consistently as he does it. And like, you know, when you think about the things that people are just casually throwing out about this guy and everybody's in unison on it there's no there's no dissenting voices really on David Clifford you know yeah. and these are people who know the game better than we'll ever know it you know but Chrissy McCaig is the best man marker in the game probably you know or he's def- if he's not he's in the top three yeah. and Clifford just had 
you know, you could see, say, what like Mikey Butler did to Tony Kelly, different sport or whatever. But you know what I mean? Like you can, you can, you can curtail these guys, the best in the game, if you do that job brilliantly and you have the best person to do it. And Christy McKay just looked like a normal full back yesterday. He really did. Like Clifford was going around him and he was fouling him. He, was, he did okay, yeah. but just too good. Like. He seemed to kick one shot with McKay, like just on top of him. Yeah, it went wide, but only just wide. But it was only like, just wide. I thought it was, it was over. Like a yeah. snap. Oh, I'll just have a go. But like the dimensions didn't really seem like it was a thing anyone else would, would have tried. McKay was so on top of him. So yeah, he's just a freak. We'll talk to Darren and Colin about it. But I mean. Kerry were done. Like that's that's a one man win. And the, the rest all played their part, and Stephen O'Brien was good, and Sean O'Shea came into the second half and all that. But I mean, that's a the Clifford's the only reason they won the game. Yeah, they went from two points up to two points down in in kind of no time, and he was the catalyst of everything they did well in, in the that first time. Half. You know, first half it yeah. would have been who who else showed up in the first half for Kerry? Yeah, so uh, it was just extraordinary. Uh, yeah, I mean, you kind of run out of superlatives. Is the only problem with like. You know, for the last five, six, seven years, anytime we talk about Messi, I'm like, yeah, like he's really good. You mm. know, what, what can you say? At a certain point, you just watch him and enjoy him. He's hard. Those guys are almost hard to talk about. It's funny. I was thinking yesterday there was a kind of a conversation about how Derry and Kerry have no real championship history against each other. I think they played in semi finals yeah. back in like the 50s or whatever, maybe once in the 70s or yeah. something like that. And it was something I was just thinking. She's Clifford, Clifford, Clifford. And I remember it was the minor final where he scored like the 4-8. Yeah. I think that was against Derry. And I was like, right, they might they might be happy enough not to see him again. I was at that game and I do remember someone said to me, look, we'll see what he's like. It's seniors. minor, yeah. yeah. Settle yourself. <laughs> I think I was getting quite excited. That's probably the only minor final I've like watched with intent for the full 60 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, David Clifford, unbelievable. Uh, lest you need reminding. Uh, so Rashida Adeleki, we're hoping to talk to her, I think, on the show on... Next week, Monday. I think. Monday, yeah. yeah. We were wondering, Rich, what, what she would do. Mm, she's going to be busy uh, between now and then, to be honest. She'll make her professional debut over 200 metres tomorrow evening. She's been entered in the Julia Istvan Memorial Meet in Hungary, where Adeleki will come up against the reigning 200 metre world champion, Sharika Jackson. Her first race as a pro over 400 metres will come on Friday night in the Diamond League meeting at Monaco. Meanwhile, Sophie O'Sullivan took gold for Ireland in the European under-23 1500 metres in Finland over the weekend. Sarah Healy took silver behind O'Sullivan, while in the men's event, Andrew Coscoran broke his own national record. Kind of incredible, isn't it? An Irish 1-2 in the European mm. final. Yeah. So, um, it seems everybody, her age, all her rivals in university have all turned pro this year, a year out from the games for whatever reason. So, uh, we'll chat to you in a bit more depth, hopefully, on uh, Monday. You've got some Jack O'Connor for us, Rich. Yeah, for the fourth time this entry, Dublin and Kerry will meet in the All-Ireland Football Final. Dublin pulled away from a resolute Monaghan on Saturday evening to win by seven. Kerry, as you mentioned, coming from behind to beat Derry 117-115 yesterday, aided by those nine points from David Clifford. And Kingdom boss Jack O'Connor says it proved any doubters of his side's character wrong. Yeah, I mean, any questions of a last of our fellas, you know, had we the battle for it, had we the heart for it. God, that's what that's what that game turned into in the end. You know, there was there was mistakes galore. I mean, out there in the middle of the field near the end, David David won a great turnover. Then we gave it straight back to the boys. Then we won it back again. You know that kind of thing. So there were huge mistakes, but by God, was there some honesty in that and some honesty by the players. Honesty of effort was was incredible. And um, as I said, hats off to Derry. They they put in some performance today. So it it, it really meant that we had to. Give, give everything to, to get over the line. Yeah, it was just an amazing game. I mean, give me that weekend, weekend. It was, it was so good. 
And on YouTube, just cho- talk about David Clifford, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'll just do that for the show. A um, couple of texts in on the referee. Uh, Brian and Finglas felt he was very poor. It was the difference. I mean, I guess you can definitely make the argument, but uh, look, as a neutral looking on, I just thought it's very hard to ref. It's difficult. Didn't think he did that bad a job. I wouldn't say it was the defining talking point of the game. Jesus, Mick, you weren't his understanding of the refs last Sunday for Clare. I was, were you? actually. Well, I was trying to be. Anyway, Richie, you were, you were hosting. How did I do? Uh, yeah, de- decent, Mick. You know, I thought you were fair. There was no massive, there was no massive rants, uh, which is I tried. You know, something at least. Try to keep it level. Keenan Leitrim, complete overreaction to the tackle in the game against Colombia. You have to say maybe because we read all the pieces about the fear in the eyes of the Irish players and Vera Pau saying it was the worst thing she'd ever seen in her 47 years in the game. That when you saw the tackle on Denise O'Sullivan and knowing that she'd gone to hospital in protective boot, it didn't look as as scary or as awful as. No. Um, you suspected it would be. Pow has since come out and said that actually it was final the 20 straw, minutes. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, in its totality. And it's 11 seconds of the final 23 minutes that was apparently rough and there was no heed taken from the Colombian management to, listen lads, this is a warm-up game behind closed doors, we want to calm it down a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't. And I think that was the, the final straw uh, rather than it being the complete reason why everybody walked off. Yeah think so. Uh, lads, Carlos Alcaraz's impressive glutes are also a big help. He'll be unstoppable in a few years, says John in Limerick. We haven't made the point about his glutes. Haven't, haven't noticed his glutes, really, sorry. <laughs> Tell you what. Check him out. Did everyone have the moment where it cut to Brad Pitt and you went, good God. Jesus, he's looking younger now than he, did, he <laughs> was 20 yes. years ago. It's just too Somebody pointed out he's he's three years older than Alcaraz and Djokovic combined. <laughs> yeah, 59. And he, looked, and he looks like that. I mean, like, it's, that's disgraceful. Disgraceful. Yeah, imagine being in the same shot as him. Clean just, like, Get the camera away from me! Oh my god, incredible! I think Twitter just blew up. Brad Pitt and Alcaraz were trending. <laughs> uh, we're out of time, so sorry we didn't mention Roy McIlroy's win. We talk about that later. We'll talk about it later. That yeah, was I was watching impressive. that. Yeah. We'll do our uh, open preview tomorrow. Richie, thank you very much. Until tomorrow. Nice and lads. Mind See yourselves. You. Thanks.